Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. See, it's not the persuasive words of man that make a difference within the heart of man. Not a lasting change. It's when the Holy Spirit of God comes within our hearts and lives. And man, the, the very hound of heaven continually nipping at our heels until finally we, we, we surrender to that. Until finally we were, were broken down before him. Not because it makes us feel good but because we, we understand, man, we, we dare not do anything else other than surrender. In today's message, Pastor David explores Paul's defense of himself toward false teachers. The church in Corinth was experiencing division, and the believers were forming groups around their favorite teacher. Our pride and arrogance can cause us to be divided from others and distracted from God's work. The Holy Spirit, however, can change our tendency towards sinful treatment of others. We have hope because by the power of God alone, can people be changed for His glory? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Mind of Christ. If you would, why don't you take your book of uh, prophecies, uh, church history, the history of Israel, the book of uh, poems and letters, letters to the churches, as well as the early stories and events of Jesus' life. Gather those all together. If you would, within that, would you find the letters of Paul? And within the letters of Paul, would you turn probably to the second one that you have, or the first one that you have, although it's really the second letter. And in that one, letter to the Corinthians, the second letter, but it's really the first letter that you have, the one to the Corinthians, find in that book the place where Paul writes and he says, I determined to know nothing uh, among you except Christ and him crucified, and I was in much, we find, find that place, let's begin our Bible study. Can you imagine trying to find your place in a Bible study that way? Now, if you know the word, that works, because, oh, I, I know exactly where he's writing there. But did you know that the chapter and the verse divisions were actually added to the Bible just for your sake? <laughs> just so I could say, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, and everyone would be on the same page, well, at least the same location. Now, this is... This is the inspired word. It's the inerrant word of God. I, I have absolutely no problem with that. But there is no true spiritual inspiration as far as the divisions of chapter and verse within your Bible. They were placed there for convenience sake only. As a matter of fact, a fellow by the name of Stephen Langton was the one that divided the Bible simply into chapters. 
And that was back in 1227, okay? So just divided into chapter 1,200 years, okay? They had to kind of look through it and find, you know, where's that at, where's that at? And then it was just divided into chapters. Langton later became the Archbishop of Canterbury. Well, a little over 300 years after Langton put it into chapters, a fellow by the name of Robert Stephanus or Stevens, he was a, a, a Frenchman, he, and he divided the chapters into verses of the Greek New Testament. And if you ha- just had the Greek, they don't have periods or commas or exclamation points. They, you just figure it out. And, but he put them into verses, and that was first published in 1551. So now you had chapters, and now you had verses. And then a few years later, the, the, the first entire Bible was printed with chapters and verses. It was uh, Stephen's version of the Latin Vulgate, and that was 1555. The first English New Testament to have both chapter and verse was actually the Geneva Bible. And some of you might even have a copy of the Geneva Bible, and that was in 1560. And fortunately, Jewish scholars, they decided they were going to go ahead and, and, and divide theirs up in chapters and verses because prior to that time, the Jewish scriptures weren't written in chapters and verses. Now, I tell you all this just simply so you understand that the chapters and the verses are not inspired, okay? They're there simply for convenience. And the problem is is sometimes the division of chapters and the division of verses actually kind of throw you out of the context of what's been written. And sometimes it's a whole lot better maybe uh, if you have the chances, um, get a Bible or, or get a, uh, a computer program with the Bible on it that you can wipe out all the verses and all the chapters and just read it for the fullness of the context of it. Rather, than, and, and, and some of you, like, like my Bible, you've got title headings above certain chapters. Now, Paul wrote those as he was writing, right? No, he didn't, no. So you're reading along, it says, oh, this next section is glory only to the Lord. So you go into it with that understanding. Well, you know, that's a help if you're a baby Christian. But really, if you want to study the word deeply, that can actually kind of throw you off. Because what happens if the Lord wanted to speak to you in that scripture, in that portion of scripture, with a different idea and a different thought. Can God do that within the same passage of scripture? Speak to you one thing, to you another thing, and to you another thing? Sure he can. He does that all the time. I can't tell you how many times I preached up here and I thought I had a great message. And as I get off the pulpit and go walking out, somebody will come, one of you will say this to me. "Uh, Pastor, that was a great message, but let me tell you what the Lord showed me in the midst of that. I thought, well, that wasn't in my notes. God can do that. He can take his word through the work of his Holy Spirit and reveal to each one of us those things that touch us where we're at at that point in time. That's the awesome thing. Now, I I say this also to you because as we get into chapter two, let's not forget how Paul ended chapter one. But actually, Paul didn't end chapter one, did he? No, it's, it's all a complete thought. It's a complete pattern. So as we ourselves, as we're moving on here, now I've probably got some of you totally confused, uh, we're actually in chapter two of 1 Corinthians, but I want to back up a little bit, and I want to go into chapter one, and in most of your Bibles, it should be verse 27, okay? And I want to back up there 
to get into context what he's saying there at the beginning of chapter 2. So chapter 1, verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And that, as it's written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brother, when I, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. No, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is writing this letter, and if you'll remember when we introduced the book of 1 Corinthians, we told you that there was probably another letter that he had written before because in the midst of 1 Corinthians, he speaks of some things that he's written to them before. The church in Corinth had written him back because he's also answering some questions within 1 Corinthians for the church there in Corinth. When he came to Corinth, when he originally came there, remember he came from Mars Hill, from debating with the philosophers of his time uh, there on Athens, or in Athens on Mars Hill. So he was toe-to-toe with the philosophers of his age. And it was from that situation that he came to Corinth. And so here we see this and we understand Paul is continuing on here in chapter 2. He's continuing on with his letter to the Corinthian church. He continues to tear down those walls of pride that had separated the church. Remember in chapter 1, he said, why why are you guys, you know, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Paul, and oh, you know, I... I'm of Christ, you know. You guys are dividing each other. You're, you're, you're walking in all of this pride. And so he continues to, to write against that. He says, man, I came to you knowing nothing. I came to you only knowing Christ and him crucified. Paul's trying to help them to understand, man, your pride is, is not good in the Lord. Not good at all. He continues to come against these cliques and these divisions that were in the church. Can you believe it? Divisions within the church... You know, and we're probably around 65, 70 AD right here, and divisions already. So we look at the church today and says, boy, nothing ever changes under the sun, amen? Everything remains the same. He tells him that he didn't come in with the idea of starting his own following. He didn't come in because he was jealous that some said they were of Apollos and some said of Cephas. He didn't have any desire to impress man with his wisdom or his knowledge. He, he wasn't looking to create uh, 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 the, the worldwide evangelism ministry of the Apostle Paul, okay? He would, wouldn't have been able to fit all that on a business card anyway, so... He had already shared with them back in verse 17 of chapter 1 that he had come not with the wisdom of words. 
His only desire was to reach the hearts of all men in order that those who believe would be saved, in order that some might be saved. Already, division had come into the church, and that was because of man's arrogance, because of man's pride. And we still deal with that. We still battle that, even within the most simplest of churches. The smallest of churches can deal with cliques and groups that divide each other rather than walking in humility toward each other, not, real, not only realizing but not walking with the understanding that there's not a one of us that's above the other. Not a one of us. I don't, I don't care who you are or, or what your uh, economic status is or what your background or what your education is. We are all one in Christ. And that's just got to be the reality of how we live. It's got to be. The problem was that some of those who had listened to these various teachers, whether it be Apollos or Cephas, they determined, you know, hey, this is, this is the best teacher. I'm following after him. Oh, no, I really like his. I'm following him. And my teacher is better than your teacher. Nanner, nanner, nanner. Uh, that, that was kind of the attitude that was going on. And so not only does Paul come against these divisions, he's also against any need for himself to come off as this brilliant seminary professor or something, some brilliant rabbi. No, he says, man, I'm coming to you in simplicity. He's not trying to impress the people with all of his knowledge. And you need to understand, Paul was a very, very intelligent man. He would not have been able to stand toe-to-toe with the philosophers of the age if he was not an intelligent man. And if you remember the testimony of Paul, Paul's own resume, if you will, he says, man, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And among my peers, man, I was, I was excelling. I was schooled at, at the foot of Gamaliel, one of the best teachers, one of the best rabbis of the time. No, Paul was a very intelligent guy, but he didn't need to impress anyone at all. He was well, well, well versed in the Old Testament scriptures. He was well versed in the teachings of Jesus, even though he hadn't had the opportunity like the other disciples to walk with Jesus. I believe that Jesus taught him and the Holy Spirit taught him during those days of, of being away from everything, during that time of seclusion before he started his ministry. He was also well educated within the secular world too. He knew what the philosophers of the day were talking about. As I remember, when he was there in Athens on Mars Hill, he, he spoke about the fact, and, and one of your philosophers says this, and so he quoted their own philosophers to him. No, Paul was a pretty sharp guy. And yet he knew that if he tried to persuade people toward conversion, by, again, by command of words, by his own rhetoric, rather than by the simplicity of the cross, it would be his conversion, and not a conversion brought on by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a sad move, I think, that's going on within Christianity I don't think it's just now happening. I, I Probably for the last 2,000 years it's been happening. Men are moved, men and women and young people are moved to make a commitment to something. They might think that it's a commitment to Christ because they've, they've been driven there emotionally and powerfully and persuaded in a way that absolutely, yes, I want that. But in reality, there's, there's no repentance. There's no true commitment. And therefore... There's no lasting life within them. They're, they're, they're converted by the persuasive words of man 
rather than by the power of the Holy Spirit. The story is told uh, about Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, a great evangelist of his time. Billy Sunday had gone back to a city that he had had a big crusade at years ago. And as he's out walking one evening, this man approaches him. And this man, is his clothes all in disarray, and he's kind of stumbling along. And the man comes up to Billy Sunday. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're that preacher fella, ain't you? Billy Sunday said, yes, I'm Billy Sunday. He says, I thought so, I thought so. Well, I just want you to know, Reverend Sunday, I, I was at your crusade a couple of years ago and I'm one of your converts from that crusade. Alcohol just coming all over the guy. Billy Sunday, just in the sadness of his heart, looked at the man, he agreed, he says, yeah, I can imagine you probably are one of my converts because if the Holy Spirit of God had converted you, you'd be a changed man. You see, it's not the persuasive words of man that make a difference within the heart of man. Not a lasting change. It's when the Holy Spirit of God comes within our hearts and lives. And man, the the very hound of heaven continually nipping at our heels until finally we we, we surrender to that. Until finally we were, were broken down before him. Not because it makes us feel good, but because we, we understand, man, we, we dare not do anything else other than surrender to the truth and the hope that's found in Christ and him crucified. And that's what Paul says his message was. Man, not with persuasive words, but I came to you with the simplicity of Christ and him crucified. Paul knew persuasive words wouldn't bring about true conversion. He knew it had to be a move of the Holy Spirit within a man's heart. A move so powerful that even the simplicity of the message of the cross would lead a man to salvation. And Paul declares that that message was and always needs to be Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's a demonstration of the Spirit and of the power that converts men's lives, that makes old new that causes a man to be literally born again from the inside out. Paul didn't come in with some big power trip, some high and mighty apostle of God, you know, can I give you my business card kind of an attitude. He, he, he didn't come telling or, or, or commanding the people to obey his directions or holding any big campaigns or crusades. He came simply as he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, when we think about that, you've got to wonder, Paul the apostle? In weakness and in fear and much trembling? That, that just doesn't make sense. Why would that be? There's a lot of speculation about that. We could think that maybe because he, he had done everything, quote unquote, humanly possible there on Mars Hill as he debated with the philosophers and maybe the Lord took him to the woodshed, if you know what I mean, and said, you know, it's it's not by you being able to debate with the intelligentsia of the age. It's by you sticking to the truth of the simplicity of the gospel. Maybe it's because, again, in in Paul's life, there there was sicknesses, there was different things that were going on. Whatever it was, Paul didn't come to Corinth with the authority that was really his as an apostle. He came with that weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul's words at that time, they weren't spectacular. They they weren't deep. He says it himself. 
His appearance wasn't powerful. His appearance wasn't commanding. But the message that Paul carried was definitely in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that their faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so these conversions there in Corinth, the the birth of the church there in that pagan, pagan city, man, that was a powerful work of God. And it happened through the weakness of a mortal man. Can God do that? The simplicity of the word spoken and the Holy Spirit just zero right in on hearts and start changing hearts. I think that every great revival that we can look at through the ages, from the Welsh revival to the revivals that have happened here in the United States in the early days, ones that were truly, truly significant, It was just the simplicity of preaching. Covered much, much by prayer prior, during, and after that time. And the Holy Spirit just penetrating men and women and young people's hearts. Some not even going to the campaign, but you can read testimonies of people that were literally at at bars during the campaigns that were going on and during the crusades while the preachers were preaching on the other side of the city, the Holy Spirit falling on men and women because, again, the power of the Holy Spirit and changing lives. I think we're way overdue, amen? amen? We're way overdue. We can have all of the entertainment and all the pizzazz and all the, all the showboating that, that we want, beloved. But if the simplicity of the gospel is not preached, the churches in America are doing no eternal good. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to preach that our only hope is found in Christ. Our only hope is not in just feeling good on Sunday morning. Our only hope is being drawn to the word of God by the power of God to be interpreted to us and shown to us by the spirit of God in order that the people of God might be changed by God for his glory. That's our only hope. Paul wasn't against wisdom. But he knew that the the wisdom of God and the teachings of the mystery of God, those were deep waters. And they they not everybody was ready for that those deep things. And he understood that. Verse six tells us here. However, we, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, and yet not, not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in mystery, that hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, or for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So here Paul weighs the difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And wisdom was necessary. Uh, it's always necessary for those that are maturing in their faith. We need to gain wisdom. We need to gain understanding, but not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age. We need to gain in spiritual wisdom. We need to gain in spiritual understanding. And one of the reasons that we encourage you to take classes like The Truth Project is because the vast majority of Christians today are still walking around with a secular world view. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open.
The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.